So do you guys remember what the Aston Martin cognizant Aramco Formula 1 team used to be called before? No? Uh, okay, it was used to go, it used to be called Aston Martin cognizant Formula 1 team. But what about before that? BWT Racing Point for Force S Force India F1 team. But before that, there was the Force India F1 team, that the team that I grew up being a fan of, the team with the lovely white liveries and then proceeded to the black and the silver ones. The team known for being the best on a budget, the pound for pound world champions. And how awesome is it that today we get to speak to two people who've headed the marketing operations of the very Force India F1 team for years? My name is Somal Arora. I am the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And one of our two guests, I wouldn't call him guest, but my co-host Kunal Shah, as you all know, is the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. But Kunal, interestingly enough, we've got a bit of a Force India affair going on today, haven't we? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And yes, you introduced me as the former marketing head of the Force India Correct. F1 team. But that's also who our guest on this episode is. Uh -huh. His name is Ravi Kant Sabnavis. We're going to call him Ravi for the for the mm -hmm. rest of the show. And he was the guy who actually I took on the marketing duties from and several other duties that he performed for the Force India F1 team. So technically, you've got the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team and the former former <laughs> marketing head among all the other hats that we sort of wore. So welcome to the show, Ravi. It's Fantastic to have you on. I know you've been a listener. I know you've had, you know, lots of experiences of your own in the paddock within Formula One with Otmar, with Vijay Malia, with Subrot Roy. A lot of things, a lot of memories that I'm going to tell my grandkids, which will include you, of course. So we said, why don't we just sit down and record mm. and put it out there for our listeners. So thank you so much for spending this uh, Saturday afternoon with us. Thank you, Kunal. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, there's some amazing memories uh, from the Force India days. And uh, sometimes one wonders, uh, where can one start? Ah, So where are we starting, Samuel? Actually, good point. You know what? Let's start at the start. Uh, cliche, I know. We, we've, we've kind of ticked one of the cliche book. But hey, let's start at the start. Funnily enough, Ravi, Ravi Kant, or uh, okay, I'll, I'll call you Ravi in this case because that's what Kunal has said. Sure. But the funny thing is, normally when people say, okay, you're working in F1, there's some sort of route you come on, you, maybe you apply for a Formula One team here and there, but your route, as far as what I've heard, is the most different of all the marketing routes I've heard in Formula One. You previously were heading the Kingfisher Airlines and the marketing side of it. Just how does someone heading Kingfisher end up in Formula One and, and heading the marketing side of a Formula One team? Oh, yes. In, in, in fact, they're very, very diverse. But, uh, you know, if I were to rewind it to that time, uh -huh. uh, you know, I used to be heading marketing for United Breweries, hmm. the makers of Kingfisher beer. And uh, as you probably know, that was also owned by Mr. Malia. Yeah. Uh, and there was a certain point in time he was looking for someone to head up marketing for the Force India F1 team and also for uh, Kingfisher Airlines. Uh, Wait, that's two roles in one? Two roles in one. My goodness. Absolutely. And that, that that was seemed very, very exciting and challenging because they're two very diverse categories. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you look at my experience in these categories, uh, uh, in aviation, it was restricted to, you know, flying as a passenger. Uh, and as far as F1 goes, uh, it was restricted to attending two races, one in Shanghai and one in Istanbul. Mm. Uh, uh, but, you know, he was looking for someone with a lot of passion, passion for work. Uh, and, well, I'd like to believe that uh, he saw that in me. <laughs> and then here I was uh, back from Bangalore to Mumbai uh, in a, you know, dual role. Uh, 
to 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 head marketing for both the Force India team as well as for the airline. Well, we know that Vijay Malia. Well, he's he's a character, right? And we are going to do an episode on him. But just what was the interview like? <laughs> what is he like to just <laughs> be around with in terms of getting a job? Oh, uh, you know, a lot of people would uh, say that he's very intimidating. Hmm. Uh, and that's bound to happen i think uh, with people of his stature yeah uh but in my working for i think four odd years uh, actually five years with him i found he was actually a very passionate guy with childlike curiosity hmm. uh and he was also a very good listener aha uh-huh. interesting absolutely uh, so he he was very good uh, you know he he was kind of person who loved listening to new ideas oh. uh, extremely passionate and therefore i think he liked to surround himself with passionate people so that's just a glimpse of what kind of a man mr malia was interesting and what about you kunal because i suppose your way of getting into force india was a little more conventional let's put it that way no what uh, was the whole hiring process like over there so i i will add another adjective to conventional i think it was very dramatic right okay so when force india was announced it was like 2008 and 9 when the whole uh you know when news was a buzz and then he finally said i'm buying a formula 1 team mm. we're going to call it force india i know you were at the at the launch uh, party at the gateway of india in mumbai and i remember so my mom was like you know what you should write to vjm and that's like such a mom thing to do yeah it's like a very mom thing to do <laughs> yeah. she said you should write to him you def- he'll definitely need people with your kind of passion and expertise and understanding of <laughs> the formula 1 business okay. so you know in a very my kind of thing i told my mom i said you know when the time is right he's going to reach out to me okay it was like one of those <laughs> very uh, and this this actually happened so when hmm. i said he's going to reach out to me and i still remember I was uh, at Matunga in Mumbai. I was mm-hmm. driving I was driving with a friend and I got a call mm-hmm. saying uh, and it was a plus 44 number. So it was, you know, from the UK. Mm. And I got a call saying uh, is this Kunal we'd like to talk to you. This is with regards to uh, you know an opening with the Force India Formula 1 team. And of course I stopped the car and I said, <laughs> "Okay, what is it about?" And he was explaining the role. He was a person who was hiring for the team and mm. stuff like that and he said uh, you know would you be available for an interview and all the while while he was explaining the role to me i said i am dead sure this is a prank from one of my friends they have spoofed <laughs> a plus 44 number they've gotten somebody to speak to me in the british accent and i was very convinced till it actually happened that i got an email mm-hmm. and i was like okay shit's got real like what do i do how do i get this role and mm. of course i applied and then i you know had my interview with ravi and several people from hr and the likes and it was still unreal you know i was like you're going to work for a formula 1 team which you always told your mom that hey they'll reach out to me if you know if they need me mm. i got hired and before i knew it i actually flew to the 2010 turkish grand prix uh before i even got hired technically uh-huh. okay because that was when i vjm had time and i was told i need to go see him and speak to him and stuff like that and mm. that's how the whole hiring happened and of course before that i worked within the sports marketing industry on sponsorships on operations and and you know various things that sort of helped build my cv so that if and when a force india f1 uh, team came calling i was you know I had the requisite uh, experience uh, with me to at least make myself mm. eligible. So that's the slightly more slightly less dramatic story. I mm. remember it being far more drama because it was stretched over several weeks. Yeah. 
Now, Ravi, I want to ask this question to sure. you in terms of marketing talents. Now, I know personally, I, I'm also looking for something quite like that. But there must be so many people wanting to work in this particular sphere in the marketing, sponsorships, PR kind of space in Formula One. Now, Kunal said he built up a CV that way. But how do teams go hiring for talents like this? Because there's such a broad pool. You don't need to be a Formula One fan to work in Formula One. So how do you go about finding people in that role? You know, Somal, you're absolutely right. You don't need to be uh, an F1 fan, hmm. uh, you know, to be hired by an F1 team. Uh, I certainly think you need to have a passion for that sport. Hmm. Uh, you need to have passion for sports in general. That That's my view. Uh, and very specifically, I think you need a certain level of passion for F1. Hmm. Because everything else follows. You can be taught. Yeah. Right. Unless, of course, it's it's engineering and, you know, you're not skilled in that sense. Hmm. So passion alone won't help. But for a lot of other things in F1, if you're passionate about it, if you love it. Uh, and, and you know, I, I personally think <laughs> Kunal had and continues to have that passion. Right. So you need people like him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it really played out well that way because there's a lot of stuff and a lot of campaigns that we are going to be discussing in this episode. But what I want to take this conversation forward into is just what does the marketing team do? It's, of course, very separate to what the technical side of the thing is. And and we can't focus much on the engineering side and how Forcing did that because it's a different department altogether. Right. But in terms of marketing, just what goes on on a daily basis in the team? Sure. So, uh, you know, typically, uh, I, I would imagine there are three roles uh, for an F1 marketing team. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one is you have a fan base and you need to engage with them and you need to grow that fan base. Mm. Uh, and we, on a daily basis, did a lot of things around that. Uh, and this uh, then leads to need, needs to leave, uh, lead to a commercial objective, which is sponsorships. Mm. That's the second role. Uh, and the third, of course, is you already have a bunch of sponsors and you need to build value for them in terms of marketing. Correct. So that's the third role. Mm. Uh, but... For us, for Force India, uh, we had a fourth and a very unique role, which is that there was no base, so to speak, in India uh, for Formula One. That's right. So we needed to really build a category. Uh, and that probably became the first role. Hmm. And I, I remember this very clearly at the Indian Grand Prix 2011, <laughs> where there were cutouts for normal people to just put themselves in a Force India suit to kind of make themselves feel like a Force India driver. And Facebook was big at that time. Yeah. So it offered an instant profile photo kind of opportunity that those are the kind of things you did. We we wanted to take it to the masses, even mm. though Bernie Eccleston at that time wanted it to be a very elitist sport, mm. because we realized that the only way to try and galvanize and build the whole audience base was by letting them feel that yes formula one is a global sport but force india is what you can experience as 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 a team as an emotion hmm. and we were of course very lucky that that there was an upswing in performances as well yeah. uh within the force india spectrum of things because you know ever since he started till he he was forced to sell or till he decided to sell hmm. the team was only getting better through every season so when you know, it's one thing to to build a marketing idea for a product, but it's another thing for the product to be as good as well. And we were very lucky that, you know, the team was anyway doing really well. So whether it was having show cars everywhere mm. uh, so that people could touch and feel and, you know, something we did really well, which I really liked was, you know, we did pit stop experiences because we said, what are the different ways people try and connect with a Formula One team. Hmm. Not everybody wants to be a driver. 
of course. Everybody yeah. thinks they're the next Michael Schumacher <laughs> or Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. But there was another aspect said pit stops. You know, everybody was everybody still in awe of all the two second pit stops that people would do. So we said, can we make pit stops more mass? Hmm. So we engineered cars in India where you could do pit stops with teams and, and so on. So like Ravi said, it was building the category. Uh, there was an existing base, but again, mm -hmm. the base was so small that you could almost not monetize that base. And our objectives were very clear that in the end, all of this that we do should be able to be monetized because mm. that's, I mean, we all know how expensive Formula One is as a sport. We now have a budget cap. We now have various things which have financial controls in place. Yeah. But we were in the free era where you could spend as much money as you wanted, whether it was on the car or off it. Actually, a bit of a question that's just popped up in my mind, right? Formula One teams are not often profit-making entities. It's usually, let's say, a vanity exercise for the owners in that case. And so brand building for the team is there, but it still largely exists to satisfy, let's say, the personal wants and needs of the owners. So in that sense, does that change anything from a, from a conventional business, say like Kingfisher? How different is marketing for a Formula One team in that sense? Let's say Wednesday morning, randomly on a June on a June afternoon what what not morning or an afternoon but hey a Wednesday on a June what what do you sit and work on in that case it, when you compare a Kingfisher airline of course to a Formula One team in that sense well, that's a very interesting question and I think several years back Kunal and I had this debate uh -huh. uh, and but we'll talk more about that later when he he was insisting that uh -huh. how this marketing is very very different from any other kind of marketing hmm. and uh, at that point in time I didn't necessarily agree <laughs> okay. but like I said that's a story for another day but I think uh, perhaps I can answer your question by adding more color to what Kunal said a couple of minutes hmm. back you know he spoke about the pit stop challenges right now for us it was very interesting process of evolution hmm. uh, when we started when Malia acquired the team we used to have pit stop challenges with cardboard cutouts of the side of a car and these tyres I remember that right it was yeah. a road tyres with four wheels correct. I remember that, that yes. correct right uh, if it it was a cutout it had to be a road yeah, tyre correct and then we evolved into a uh, you know a, a st static car hmm. which we pulled out from somewhere and finally we said no we will make these show cars hmm. we spent a lot of money we got them made in India we, you know Kunal uh, found those guys uh, so we evolved that way hmm. and a part of this was actually when we went to colleges in season one hmm. uh, we had to request them to sort of keep that car there hmm. but in season two uh, it became a part of the college festival so hmm. the stakes were higher for the kids to participate because if they won it added up it added up to their points for their college to win or lose. Hmm. So now that's something that, uh, you know, I, I don't think an airline or, uh, you know, a company that makes uh, fast-moving consumer products yeah. uh, would be doing. Exactly, because the, the whole approach is different, right? Here, you're, over there, you're kind of building a brand to sell something, but but the product in this case is so completely different. The product is what happens on track. So it's so, huh, it, at the end of the day, Formula One is a big marketing wagon, isn't it? And that just completely changes your approach of how to market in a way. I mean, what was it? What was the change like for you, Kunal, moving from, let's say, okay, normal sports marketing to Formula One? What was the change in perception like? So I'm glad Ravi said that his views have diverged from uh -huh. what it was because my views have diverged and become very closer to his views. Ouch. Right? <laughs> Road reversal. We, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, of course, you know, I was much younger when I met Ravi and this was like in 2009, so mm. several years ago. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, you need to know what the pulse of the fan is, mm. right? Whether it's selling cars or candies or condoms, you know, de depending mm. on what your category is. And eventually that's what we tried to keep doing. We had the largest base online called Club Force. We had yes. a million, million fans signed up. So managing that fan base and a lot of marketing that any F1 team does, even now, some mm. of the some of the fundamentals that they operate on are very simple. And, you know, anyone listening in, I'm sure you're a Formula One fans. When there are races that are happening, hmm. the team doesn't necessarily need to market itself because hmm. performance is what sort of happened during qualifying, during the races and the likes. But what happens between races? Hmm. How do you keep the conversation ongoing between races hmm. is where the biggest objective comes in because... You know, during races, it's a very noisy time. Every team, especially if you're up against the likes of Ferrari and, you know, Mercedes and McLaren, they come with so much more history that you can almost, you'll, you'll be lost in that, mm. you know, in, in that space. But what is it that you do between races, for example? And we spent so much time devising campaigns, devising activities, and then making that valuable for sponsors to sort of hop onto as, as a marketing, mm. you know, wagon. Interesting stuff. Now, speaking of sponsors, I want to touch upon this point of view, right? The stakeholders of a Formula One team. The sponsors are there, of course, as you mentioned, like building and developing relations with sponsors and then finding new ones. But as you guys have also touched upon, the fans, building a bigger fan base, keeping the conversation engaged, but the owners as well. Just how do you go about satisfying everyone in that? Of course, you can't satisfy everyone, but just what are the conflicts like to manage in a particular marketing campaign as such? So I, I think the conflicts that one uh, needed to manage at that time hmm. uh, was with the sponsors, hmm. uh, right? Not so much with the owner, hmm. uh, in, in this case, at least in the beginning. <laughs> uh, so we'll get to that. We, we'll get to that. Yes, we'll get to that. Uh, I, I think uh, every sponsor, and I have been in a position of being with two different sponsors. Hmm. Uh, before I came to Force India, I was with United Breweries, which was right. one sponsor. He was paying for the team at that time. I was paying for the team. <laughs> and whilst at Force India, uh, I was also heading marketing for Kingfisher Airlines, which was another sponsor. Hmm. So I, I was double hatting. And in a sense, there was conflict of interest, uh, right, where I, I was demanding, you know, from one chair uh -huh. uh, and and then, you know, giving from the other chair. Yeah. Uh, so each of these sponsors have their own brand values. They have their own objectives. And how do you satisfy those? Hmm. Uh, and, and that's, you know, uh, so, for example, Kingfisher Airlines says that, look, uh, we want to build uh, loyalty for our guests. Can you do something for us there? You know, can you get uh, one of your drivers? Hang on, but but you're Kingfisher Airlines, and, and you're forcing it. Oh, okay, okay. Uh -huh. Wait a minute. How does that work then? I used <laughs> to actually walk into meetings and ask him, "What hat are you wearing right now?" Because based on that, I used to change the conversation. <laughs> Wait, that must be a fun dynamic. Oh, it was indeed. I, I just needed to go from one part of the ca room to the other part of the room and say, "Okay, now I've switched sides." Oh, but how did that work then? So you're mentioning, say, for Kingfisher, building, let's say, more, more of a relationship and loyalty with their customers. And so working that into Force India, how did that work in that case? You know, actually, it worked quite well hmm. on a more serious note. Because given that I was on both sides, mm -hmm. uh, if as a Kingfisher Airlines person, I had a marketing need hmm. from Force India, it was easy for me to resolve that need because I was the same person resolving it from Force India. Ah, so, so you know both sides of the spectrum. Yes. Interesting. I always looked at it that way that, say, 
a kingfisher or a UB sponsoring force in India. Let's say, of course, in this sense, we mean companies owned by the owner of the Formula One team. I always thought it was very bland. Like, okay, let's just place a logo on. It's our car, right? So we can pay for it that way. But how much deeper is it than that? It's a very interesting answer I have, uh, mm-hmm. which I actually learned at UB mm-hmm. uh, at United Breweries uh, when IPL just started and Kingfisher beer was sponsored to five teams. Mm. And I remember my boss then telling me that, look, it's not just about spending a certain amount of money mm-hmm. uh, to get your logo, mm. right? Any brand needs to spend probably 10x of that sponsorship value mm. to truly leverage the sponsorship, right? Through okay. creating experiences. Mm. So... Uh, and then therefore, uh, for for a sponsor like UB or uh, the airline, once they've put money mm-hmm. as a sponsorship, let's say a hundred, mm. just as an index, now they would like to spend another, you know, five x or ten x leveraging that, and therefore there's a marketing team there. Mm. And for us at Force India, at the marketing team, it's our equally our responsibility to sit and brainstorm with them and say, hey, these are ten ways in which you can leverage your sponsorship. Oh, we'll build value for you. Right, and they may come up with five ideas. We may come up with five, and then we would go with the best of them. That, that sounds like a job, Kunal. Yeah, Th- it, there's so much to do. It is, and you know, you said it's like it's our car. It's all within the UB group. Huh. Can we just put a logo anywhere? The truth is, mm-hmm. it was never just a logo anywhere because there was, you know, science behind the measurement of the value of each exposure, mm-hmm. and that was the value that you know group sponsors were also bringing so it's not that hey you have the biggest logo but you're paying the least mm. it was corresponding as well because we were also mindful that if at all an external company came through mm. at least we know what the numbers are it at least we know we are following formula 1 standards of measurement and exposure and costs as well mm. right so at all races we used to get exposure values which which is standard for every formula 1 team mm. and and uh, we used to make sure that even group sponsors mm. were paying similar value and to give you an example and i know we are going to speak about this uh, in the next uh, episode or even after that is when sahara came on board mm. they actually asked for all this data so when they paid an amount to buy into the team because all the paperwork was already there there was a fair value assessment that happened and it wasn't just that okay i think it should be valued at 100 million or a 200 million no we had <laughs> we had a measurement that proved why they had to pay an x amount to mm. become an owner of the team and like we were talking you know when we were preparing for this episode at that time mm-hmm. vijay malya and subrata roy were the two biggest investors private investors Correct. in the world of sport in this side of the world so they had investments in you know football football academies ipl teams ipl academies and then of course the formula 1 team so we were working with mm. some of the richest the bad boy billionaires as we we know Correct. it uh, through and that is going to be a separate episode yes so that th- those were several challenges you know mm. uh, of course like ravi said at least at the start we just had the ub group ownership so it was it was easier but mm. yes the the spicy stuff comes in a little later as you guys keep listening i would say you know what let's actually do that on a different episode but let's give you a bit of a glimpse of it there's one thing i want to talk about let's say for the next 5 7 odd minutes the one from a billion campaign Now for for folks all of you who don't remember it Forsini ran a campaign with young drivers here in India and I think I just learned that there was around 100 of them and they were basically it was an attempt to find the best drivers in the country top 3 essentially go forward get a scholarship and the likes uh, the winners of course Arjun Maini you might know formula 2 he he did that a couple of years ago uh, there was Tarun Reddy who's a big name in Indian motorsport he's done quite a fair bit of I think uh, 
Aston Martin Racing is no, no, that's uh, that's uh, somebody else. If I'm getting wrong, that's Akhil. That's Akhil. Either way, Tarun's, yeah, Tarun's, Tarun's done quite a fair bit in yeah, the UK yeah. as well, as far as I remember. And uh, Jehan Daruvala, of course, the the third place driver who's now currently working in Formula Two for Prema. So there is that. That's three big names that you guys found. But the whole point is, as you rightly mentioned, your idea was to build a base in the country for Formula One. But how did it resonate into getting and trying to find hundred racing drivers here in India? What was the whole idea all about? So, uh, I, I think if you were to rewind, mm-hmm. it was Mr. Malia's vision mm-hmm. that uh, you know, with the team team named Force India Formula One, mm-hmm. this was a truly Indian F1 team, and his dream always was to put an Indian kid in the cockpit of the Force India car. But I have to ask you something here. Then why not Karun? I know. I mean, I know the answer because, of course, uh, or Naren, or Naren for that matter, exactly. But but why not them? In that uh, case, well, I. I, I just think that, uh, you know, uh, VJM had uh, an understanding of mm. the talent of these two drivers. Mm. Uh, and, and he believed that uh, if he has to put an Indian uh, in the cockpit of the Force India car, uh, it has to be beyond them. Mm. Okay. And then that led to the formation of the whole program, trying to find someone from the root. Absolutely. And hmm. uh, exactly. And therefore, his vision was that, look, if I'm going to put an Indian in the cockpit of this car, it has to be someone whom we find uh, from the grassroots. Hmm. Uh, and that's where it all started. And it's, it literally is one from a billion because there's just so many people to choose from. And as we discussed, Kunal, previously as well, there's so many people who entered, so many big names that... If we look at the entry list now, they're all people who've done amazing stuff in Indian motorsport. But the top three, it's outstanding that these are three drivers who have remained relevant in Indian motorsport and foreign motorsport as well Absolutely. for the last decade. Yes. And and just to add more context and just mm-hmm. you know building on what you asked as well, VGM was always under pressure. Mm-hmm. In You're calling the team Force India. What is so Indian about it? That's a good Why, point. And, and the understanding, the assumption, mm-hmm. the expectation was the only way you'll make it an Indian team mm-hmm. is if you have an Indian driver driving for it. It was this false sense of nationalism, if I may put it that way. <laughs> I'm being a little harsh. Indeed. But yeah, and again, you know, Karun Naren, Naren specifically helped me a lot when I was, you know, racing myself mm-hmm. or at least tried to race myself. And uh, it was always his decision. And he was pretty sure that, yes, I would love an Indian driver in the team, but it has to be somebody we get from the grassroots. Mm. He was a big fan of Lewis Hamilton. So, you know, the question back then was teams were wanting to find their own Michael Schumacher. Ah. And VJM used to walk around saying, no, I want to find my Lewis Hamilton. And Ah. literally that that was the case. So that's how the one from a billion actually came about. And a little bit of history around that as well. So... Before I joined Force India, I was working for a a television channel and we were bidding for uh, the rights for the Indian Rally Championship. And VJM was the president, or I don't know, the chairperson of the FMSCI, FMSCI, the the governing body in India. And that's when we had my first interactions with him had happened and we presented building these grassroots programs and stuff like that. And of course, it needed a lot of investment and pretty much nobody's Mm. investing in rally if nobody was investing and nobody is still investing in rallying, unfortunately, but hmm. that's for another day. And when, uh, you know, this thing came about Indian team, Indian car, Indian driver sort of thing, he said, why don't we just do our own academy? And also academies are a way of teams getting more visibility, hmm. teams getting more money as well, because, you know, academies come with their own set of sponsors and so on. And I remember when I met him at... Uh, 
at the 2010 Turkish Grand Prix where where I said I you know hmm. I went before I was even hired uh he just asked me one thing you're sure we can pull off something like this on ground hmm. and i said of course i had to say yes and i said <laughs> yes i'm pretty sure and and um, that's how the whole whole journey started it of course took uh, us a year to plan everything hmm. but we were literally like running a racing team within a racing team because it we came to going to circuits and finding out which circuits in india could actually even host something like this right and there were so few there were so few we finally found seven and we did inspections we 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 had experts who came uh, from the uk and from within the indian motorsport space you know uh we had experts who would come and sort of help us build the whole program because there was only so much that we could do ourselves we had you know we we had a you know we had a team uh that was sort of pulling these things off and there were 100 kids that were chosen eventually but mm-hmm. that came out of a pool of almost 7 to 8000 kids wow. right i remember up in north india in amritsar we tied up with schools and we said here's a school bus we'll pay for it in the middle of your school day take p- permission from the parents can you just bring every child to a go kart circuit <sighs> and we actually had kids who never seen a go kart sit in one and drive it and that was also the objective of the program because then they can be fans exactly lifelong fans you know once you once you taste it once you feel that adrenaline kick in and i've oh, seen it kick in in nice. my daughter as well so i can i can sense that right yeah. that's when there is a higher chance they become a fan of the team as well and that's what we did across so many markets we said we just have to make it accessible and guess nice. what it was also free so long as you had a valid school id the team would sort of just fund the entire thing so we had blocked off everything we had our own go karts our own mm. helmets our own safety was all you know formula 1 standards if if i may put it that way and of course now this is where a lot of listeners are like how can you have formula 1 standard safety in go kart mm. but what i meant is we paid every aspect we paid attention to every aspect of mm. you know safety along all along the way and that's how the whole program got conceived and uh, we have some you know very interesting stories of how jehan daruwala became a part of the program yes. and and so on but also interestingly you know the the program was adjudicated by anthony hamilton because he yes. of course played a large role and still plays a large role in lewis hamilton's career uh, we had nico halkenberg who was you know a test driver at that time also an ambassador of the program and then of course robert von liebers was there as well hmm. so we we put together the entire structure which included racing in india and then getting further training in in the uk you know what let's actually talk about jehan i think it's one thing we have to end the episode on because before we started this episode i this is amazing story about how jehan daruwala you can arguably call him india's best chance of formula 1 right now actually he is india's best chance of formula 1 right now how he never made it to the program Just, just what happened there, Ravi? Oh, this is very interesting. You know, after much deliberation between Kunal and I, and uh-huh. you know, Robert Fernley, we decided to keep a very narrow age band of thirteen mm-hmm. uh, to seventeen. Correct. If I remember correctly, you do. But you, I must correct you. There was no deliberation. There were hardcore arguments <laughs> <laughs> because we had a little time to announce and launch, and then suddenly all these permutation <laughs> combinations would come in. But yes, please. Yeah. So uh, you know, we we kept. fairly narrow band because in 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 our wisdom we believe that was the right uh, age band mm-hmm. uh, and and as it happened uh, you know i i got a call from uh, you know one of the senior folks uh, at at ub who's been around for decades uh-huh. uh, and said look you know th- there's this family friend and he he's got a kid who's 12 years old and for some reason he's not able to apply mm. uh, so 
wanted to chat with him uh, and i i remember uh, chatting with jehan's dad uh-huh. uh, and uh, he says look you know i've got a son he's 12 he's you know an, an, very enthusiastic about this and you know he went mm-hmm. on to tell me all his achievements in you know at such a young age and he says look i i don't want to wait for another one year which is fair which is which is fair yeah. uh, and and i mean he to be fair to him he made a compelling argument why uh, you know i've got a talented son and why he's you know not making the cut mm. uh, and coincidentally i of course heard him out and it so happened that we were getting a few requests from people slightly above our cut off of 17 years okay uh and then finally we decided all right you know we were looking at 98 kids in this age group right to shortlist from 78000 kids or whatever finally it would end up at later and we said let's have a wild card Uh, right uh, i i know kunal was not very happy about it uh, i said let's do a wild card let's be fair we will keep one below and one above hmm. uh, and then of course it's open right yeah, yeah. There, there was no guarantee that uh, jahan would actually make it it's hmm. just that it allowed him to participate hmm. uh, and the rest is history yeah. he he actually managed to come in along with a, maybe a couple of other 12 year olds yeah. yes. uh, but but she finally got into the program yes I remember these conversations like they were yesterday and they were not easy because on one hand there was this you know I think we were almost 100 people direct mm. indirect working on one from a billion and then suddenly like any changes in the structure and I used to be like no I'm red flagging this we can't be doing this but of course in hindsight uh, I mean I I'm sure I knew at the time that it was the right thing to do it's just that mm. I was resisting that change but uh, i still remember when jehan actually came uh, this was in hyderabad when he came to uh, when he came for uh, the qualifying round we did not have overalls his size so he was wearing wow. oversized overalls right and uh, like ravi said the rest is history he was the quickest by by far and then you know gradually when we moved to the top 100 and to the top 10 uh, jehan arjun maini two very very strong candidates who who just breezed their way through literally speaking i just realized as well i think tarun is working for velos esports if i'm not mistaken okay. at, at a very high level so that that's like three of the best you've got in the country but hey that's just one marketing campaign there's so many more to discuss there's the tie up with force india and the rcb cricket team when a formula 1 car was placed in a cricket stadium there's more on shahrukh khan and the whole ravan promotions there's more on working with vijay malia and subrat roy the bad boy billionaires of netflix all of that and more on other future episodes stay on the podcast subscribe to us give us a good rating and be right here more good episodes coming soon